Live Wild's Connection Matters podcast, bringing together heart-centered, nature-connected, curious people who share the inquiry, how can we create a connected and meaningful way of living that brings more health, happiness and growth to our world? My name is Leona Johnson and I am your host. Hey beautiful humans, welcome to episode 32 of Connection Matters Podcast. I am Leona Johnson and I am your host. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I hope you're well. I hope you're having a beautiful day and if not, I hope you get better. I am just back from a beautiful walk in the brisk, cold, windy, blue sky, sunshiny, snowy day that there is outside. This one of those wild you never know what you're going to get days and I just couldn't not go out. I've had loads of fun recording a reel for Instagram trying to (laughs) catch me climbing a tree and back down again without the phone flipping over or forgetting to press record or falling out the tree. (laughs) It's been really fun but um, a bit silly and my hands were freezing by the end of it. I came home and my new house, which I've just moved into, was toasty and warm and cosy and I'm feeling really nourished and happy, happy to be here and inspired again to get back into the podcast. So apologies if you've missed me. If this is your first episode, welcome. I have got a load of new interviews lined up now for 2022 and I've got a new vigour for life. I feel like I've stepped into this new year, a new house and lots of new work with a renewed vigour. I feel fully alive and ready and I'm really happy that I've had this opportunity actually to untrain some old patterns and retrain my brain and my habits and my mindset to uh, yeah live more intentionally and actually be more conscious and present in the moment so yeah I'm excited to share more about that as time goes on possibly with some solo episodes if you are on the patreon account that's patreon.com forward slash connection matters podcast I will be trialing my solo episodes there so um, do hop over there if you want to support me with the podcast or any of our projects for as little as three pounds per month you will get uh, some what do you call them giveaways giveaways from the guests and also from me and if you have been supporting us for a while then I'm really really so so grateful and please look out for more juicy information and uh, shares in the next few months I'm excited because I've got loads of things to tell you about in terms of uh, the work that I'm doing. I'll be running a beautiful retreat with Luby McNamara, who I've done two episodes of the podcast with. She's the author of People and Permaculture and also the new book Cultural Emergence. And she's currently running a course called The Seed Course, Cultural Emergence and Effective Design with John Young from the Eight Shields Institute. And will be running this retreat with myself and a beautiful facilitator called Regina 
at the Applewood Permaculture Farm in Herefordshire in August. So if you're interested in that, then do check the links in the show notes and you'll be able to find out more and come and spend a beautiful, nourishing, emergent, connected week in um, the, the meadows and the orchards and the woods and the lakes of uh, deepest Herefordshire. Um, also, I am running a singing retreat in May at the amazing Middlewood Trust Permaculture Centre in Lancashire. And that is going to be a beautiful weekend with Damien Marnie, who I've also done a podcast with. And that's something we've wanted to do since before lockdown. And we've continually been thwarted in our efforts and now we can make it happen. So that's so exciting. This beautiful off-grid centre that's got... 220 acres of unspoilt land ancient woodland beautiful moorland meadows it's it's fab it's a really lovely place it feels like you're in the middle of nowhere and to be completely off grid it's just amazing so we'll have lots of fires beautiful roundhouse to um, do some of our workshops in and a lot of nature time i would love you to come if you can for that and You can find out about that at www.livewild.org.uk and check the adult courses. And you will also find there our newest programme, which is called Questing with Fire. And that's going to be a journey um, over five um, gatherings over three months, starting in May, where we deepen our relationship to fire and the other elements and part of that will include a fire quest. A fire quest is where you spend a night sitting with a fire alone in the woods and there's a whole lot of preparation and connection uh, practices that go before that to to help you get ready for that and make the most of that opportunity to have that real special time with uh, one of the most beautiful, beautiful uh, connective practices that there is sitting with a fire. And and also there'll be a beautiful integration process afterwards. So if you're interested in that, if that makes you your ears prick up and go, "Mm, what's that? I want to know more. Then also check the Live Wild website and the links are here in the show notes. So today I've got a episode with Sal Gancarelli, who I have spoken to before. He's been my teacher for about seven years now. I've learned so much about life through the work that I've done with Sal and I am, yeah, so grateful to all that it's brought me. We've 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 travelled through the um, the realms of life stage honouring and ceremony and deep nature connection practices, and really, my life has changed through the work, the really deep and powerful work that I have um, experienced through do, doing work with Sal. So, uh, I hope you enjoy this episode. It's another beauty. Without further ado, this is Sal Gencarelli. Hey Sal, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Leona? I'm good, yeah. it's uh, It's been snowing here. I've got the fire on. It's all cosy. I'm really enjoying this uh, move, really quick move from autumn into winter this year. It's only uh, last week there was still lots of leaves on the trees and then we've had a huge storm and lots of power outages and and now a big uh, blanket of white snow. So it's uh, we're all of a sudden plunged into winter and it's beautiful. And somehow I find it easier once I know that that, that winter's arrived. I can just uh, I can just get cozy and 
and uh, accept it rather than resisting, which is what I often do for most of autumn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like you're living right now anyways, uh, what is very familiar to us here. You know, we're oftentimes snowed in, uh, there's power outages and we have to prepare for even being without uh, electricity or any type of services for over over a week or more. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's part of our, our our winter existence, which we're really well prepared for and we get really, really cozy. And I, I totally agree. Like, it's easy to know, OK, this is where you're at. This is what's happening. And, you know, it's beautiful and you can really accept it for what it is. As long yeah. as your your necessities are taken care of, so yeah, totally. That's, yeah, that's what we're we're doing too here. Same. So you're out in the mountains. Yeah, yeah. So the place we live, um, it's called the Black Hills, but it is actually mountains. Um, you know, it's it's uh, old Lakota name. They called it Paha Sapa, which literally means the Black Hills. And from a distance, it it's dark on the horizon. So that's where they say the name came from. But we're at, you know, in feet, uh, I'm not sure what the meters are. I believe it's almost 3,000 meters, but it's 65,000 feet above sea level. So we have really intense weather patterns, good, strong sun, you know, not a lot of atmosphere between us and the sun. But um, when the when the north winds blow, they come right through our little valley here and snow us in. Um, so, yeah, beautiful area in the summer, though, I got to say, mm-hmm. <laughs> like perfect weather. Yeah, I bet, I bet. Lovely being up, not too hot in the mountains with the plains and the meadows and all of the, yeah, sounds amazing. So what are you grateful for today? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually really feeling a lot of gratitude to the bison, you know, so the American bison, what people oftentimes call the buffalo, but technically, um, you know, we're kind of getting in this language thing, uh, especially working with bison, um, that they should be called bison. There's all sorts of reasons for that, but We've, we're working with the bison and, and there's a big history with uh, this landscape and with the indigenous teachings um, that are really intimately connected to the bison. And so in the last couple of years, having that opportunity to directly, you know, feed them, care for them, take care of them, provide space for them, make sure they have their needs met. And then just observing them and their, their behavior and their awarenesses has been such a big blessing in my life. And um I, I have tremendous, tremendous gratitude to uh, that animal and all it does and all it teaches. Mm. That's me. I'd love to hear more about that, but I'll share my gratitude today. So I've just been, um, yeah, I've just been away for a weekend doing a nonviolent communication course, and um, and it was just so good to be in a room with people who are really connecting to. Um, you know, really intentionally connecting to their hearts and how to live more compassionately with others in the world, you know, and, and be, be in that environment where we can really search deeply, uh, looking at our communication, looking at how we get our needs met and our feelings and, and how to express ourselves in a better, better way. And one of the most inspiring things was that somebody brought in a, a there was a whole afternoon on um, social change and bringing um bringing nonviolent communication and nonviolence and and that deeper work to uh our communities and not only there but to to corporations and to you know the wider world and um so yeah feeling really inspired really grateful to Marshall Rosenberg who who was the the uh you know the the founder of the nonviolent communication movement and also 
all the people who are doing this kind of work in the world at the moment because it's uh, it's so important feeling really nourished by that and really inspired to bring it more into my world again having having worked quite a lot with NVC years ago living with it daily but now wanting to bring it more into my work and and then the crossover with that between this and and the work that we do in ceremony you know and and how similar it can be when people sit intentionally in circle to connect yeah so really grateful for that I'm really grateful that I'm getting to speak to you again um having only seen you a few weeks ago in the UK which was amazing after after a few years out um grateful uh yeah grateful for this conversation in this podcast that we get to do this yeah awesome I'll throw in there too just uh gratitude for the technology because we haven't been able to sit in in circle you know together for a number of years and luckily we just got to uh you know not not a week ago really week and a half ago two weeks ago but um you know we've been able to connect the technology and that's i think really providing a lot of support for so many people in isolation because of covid because of the restrictions and travel and and the things that are happening now in this world so Mm. um yeah just so much appreciation for that too yeah definitely and that you know knowing that we can move around the world in the way that we do i know you know everybody's trying to bring more consciousness to how and when we move rather than people just moving all over the place for for no important reason but it was it's really great isn't it to be able to you know be in contact and see and meet people from the other side of the world physically as well because of the the capacity that we have to fly and and move and and then also doing it this way through zoom and and other similar similar ways and you're out there quite remote is it where Mm -hmm. you are yeah. 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 We're we're um well, you know, like South Dakota, generally speaking, is a, a very low populous state. You know, there's not many people in the state um, and we're on the western side. So this is uh, an area where it's mostly uh, ranchers and then there's um, Native American reservations. Um, and then you have kind of a few uh, smaller, smaller towns and then kind of a one area which, you know, most people would call it a city a small city by by city standards um so we're an hour and a half uh away from the city which puts us pretty deep into the hills and yeah like our roads they don't get plowed you know like we, we have to figure that kind of stuff out here ourselves so we're we're pretty far out there um and you know like you look at something like like england and, and london you know 40 million people and just the greater london area which is pretty much all of southern england uh, and, and yeah, we, we are so far removed from that. You can't even imagine hardly. <laughs> and yet here you are talking to me on the other side of the world and you still managed to get this, you know, this technology affords us to have that, you know, have that yeah. different type of living. I really, yeah, love that. So yeah, thank you. So what is it about Buffalo or bison that is so, um, so important you know what is it that inspired you to connect with the bison and bring them back into the to living in that area yeah well you know i think i think that question it goes deep deep into our genetic memory you know and this isn't just something for north america you know north america kind of gets the emphasis with oh the bison population the history because it wasn't that long ago you know, we're thinking 150 200 years ago 
Um, there was huge herds of bison all across this nation. Um, but, you know, you look into like Europe and France and, and, you know, some of the oldest artwork in, that's ever been found documented is a bison in these caves. You know, so there's there's some really ancient and intimate tie between people and uh, the bison and the bison of Europe, the European bison and the North American bison are really not that dissimilar. You know, it, it, you, you would look at them and you would know really quickly. Oh, yeah, that's a bison. It, their hair is a little bit different. The body size is a little bit different. But other than that, there's no really uh, easy way to distinguish between the two. So, you know, human beings um, in the northern hemispheres have had this really powerful connection to bison for, you know, tens of thousands of years. And um, here in North America, the bison were essential as part of the landscape. Um, and, and they were so essential that they're, um, they really merged into a spiritual, religious understanding of the people that uh were first inhabitants here, you know, the first people nations. Um, the, the main background that I have with um, the Native American traditions comes from the Lakota people. And the Lakota people are, you know, the archetypical Native American when someone of uh, other lands thinks of Native Americans, right? Teepees, big eagle headdresses, horses, you know, riding, hunting the buffalo. That that is very that imagery is very much based on the Lakota, the Lakota Sioux, as sometimes they're called. Um, so they were bison people, you know, and and some some anthropologists would even say that their religion was based upon the buffalo. Like, but I would really say that the their culture, you know, their way of being was based upon the relationship between themselves and nature. And the bison was a really critical aspect of that because the, the bison are cornerstone species. You know, they they're just by their movement, by the way they eat, by the way they even, uh, you know, defecate actually creates a more abundant landscape. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of a lot of discussion of why that is, you know, the history of the bison and the history of the land. You could really think, you know, one of the one of the um, reasons for that is that the bison resided on this landscape for so long that the land adapted to the bison, the bison adapted to the land. And this kind of symbiotic relationship that everything becomes healthier because they've lived together for hundreds of thousands of years, right? And in really intimate, powerful, you know, direct contact ways. So for us, you know, for me, why I'm so interested in this is that, you know, I've learned all these traditions and I've learned these kind of spiritual practices and I've learned um, these cultural models, but the Lakota people, um, were moved on to reservations in the 1800s. You know, the late 1800s was pretty much, that was the end of hunting the bison. And part of the movement that the, the Native American people, the Plains, um, kind of were forced onto the reservations because the, the, the U.S. government, the cavalry and the settlers too, the people that were coming in, were mandated in, in essence to kill as many bison as possible. So this wasn't for sport this wasn't for food they just wanted to eliminate the food sources of the indigenous people and it was more than food sources it was, it was eliminating you know clothing it was eliminating shelter it was limiting you know all these resources that the this one animal provided and thereby you know nobody could hold out nobody could be off reservation as they would say so they all moved on to the reservation well the spirituality and much of the cultural teachings they endured 
but what was missing was the direct contact, you know, mm. and, and, you know, of course the direct contact was literally impossible at that time because herds, the herd size, they estimate somewhere between like, you know, I've heard between 30 and 60 million bison down to 500. Like that's, that was the reduction within, wow. within a couple of decades, you know, so wow. That's a lot of death and a lot of change, right? And so there's not even the bison available for the the kind of real life exchange and connection that could happen. But the the teachings are still very much active. You know, the spirit of it is very much active. It's informing, um, you know, healing and health and and how to go about that in so many different ways. But the bison itself are are gone. So, you know, for myself, I went through this big process of, you know, over 20 years of teaching and training on this and, and how to understand this kind of spiritual relationship and this healing relationship. But I myself did not have contact with the bison. Mm. So, you know, see them from a distance in the parks because that's where they were found, you know, a couple of private herds here and there. But that's so different than actually like raising your own bison, so to speak, you know, working with the bison directly, directly. So when we moved to South Dakota now, and this was uh, a little over two years ago, one of our goals here was to create the opportunity to have these, you know, real physical relationships with the landscape, with the ecology, with the beings of the land. And we made the commitment as part of that is to actually help return the bison to this landscape. So you know, how long has it been since bison actually were on the, the areas of land that we, you know, are managing? I won't even call it ownership because I don't really believe in land ownership. But, you know, we have to manage what we're responsible for. And we have, you know, some financial responsibility with that, too. So let's say we have this land and bison haven't been on this land since at least the 1870s, at least the 1870s. So they were here for sure. Absolutely. A hundred percent. So we're bringing the bison back to what we're able to. And mm -hmm. with that, we're really deliberately, um, um, you know, managing the ecology and we're learning how to do that in collaboration with the bison as been the history of humanity in this area for, you know, probably tens of thousands of years. Mm. So that's, that's the goal. And then the other goal, just really quickly on it is that it provides the opportunity for people who have gone through these teachings and trainings, you know, like yourself, you, like for you to come to South Dakota, to this landscape, you know, and to really make that contact yourself too, as well. Um, and, and, you know, feed the bison, like literally, like we, when we have calves, we're sometimes bottle feeding these calves. Like you, we have, I have to pick them up and move them around until I'm, you know, they're so big. You can't even imagine doing that. Um, and people can interact with that in that way. And, and I think it makes what it could be just, um, a felt sense or even a heady con concept into a really powerful embodied experience that is, is really where the transformation, the healing lies. Mm. So that's why we're doing this whole bison project right now. Mm, beautiful. I remember when I, um, was in a ceremony preparing for one ceremony and, 
I spent some time connecting to the directional archetypes of this tradition. So for people listening at home, we often talk about the northeast, southwest as being related to energies, as being related to spirit support, as being related to our place and relationship to the land and where we are. And I was out on the land and I spent some time facing the north. And I know that uh, in the north, the, the buffalo are uh, this archetypal animal that as you say, had no had no relationship to, had no understanding of. And, and yet I got this sense um, facing the north and really calling in the energy of the buffalo, of this um, huge, abundant, um, like endless flow of love and generosity and um, some depth of wisdom and knowledge that was just beyond even my yeah my my understanding it felt like it felt huge and like all-encompassing loving you know like the 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 real love of um of an elder but more <laughs> I don't know how to explain it it was really powerful and, and beautiful and uh yeah so I'd absolutely love uh to come and connect with the buffalo and and having known a little bit about how much uh, their interdependence with the the people on the plains and 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 more was uh, such a part of life everybody's life you know mm-hmm. it's just amazing amazing to actually um to hear and i remember we spoke probably a year and a half ago and the old buffalo were just babies yeah they were just little little uh calves and and now i imagine that they're huge and yeah yep they are they are big animal and they're still growing um you know the 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 females they're um they're getting close to their kind of growth end of their their growth spurt growth life cycle you know they're full adults uh, about two years of age um our our little calf you know the 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 bull he's still he's still only about halfway there he's now um just past a year old you know, his horns are probably, you know, a foot long or so, and they're starting to just now curl upwards like the adults. Um, but but at the hump, um, you know, where the, the back of their um, their head kind of meets their uh, their spine, it, there's a hump there. And that, for the females, are sitting about, I'd say, almost six feet high. You know, I, I actually, uh, um, you know, they're dangerous animals because they're so powerful and they don't realize perhaps how frail you know, human beings are compared to them. Um, and they're always knocking heads, you know, they, they, they use their horns, not as a so much defense, but more as a kind of a social, uh, hierarchical kind of, uh, reasoning, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so they just bump each other's heads and knock horns and you hear them clacking around and, and, um, and, you know, they'll do that to people sometimes. And this is, this is why you have to be really careful because uh, they communicate that way. And if they hit you, you know, uh, it can kill you. Like literally uh, people have died that way. Um, and and last, uh, last summer I actually got bumped by one. She wasn't really trying to hurt me. She wasn't, she just kind of gave me a little nudge and it took me off my feet. And I was like, wow, this is a powerful animal. <laughs> you know, this, this is uh, and I'm never going to do what I was doing again. You know, like mm-hmm. I learned my lesson, you know, and I wasn't hurting them. I actually just kind of moving some of their, uh, uh, their food around a little bit, but I was in the precarious, you know, I was too close really is all it was. And, and yeah, she let me know she, she wasn't too happy about that. And I was like, okay, 
you know, this is a big, powerful animal. And, you know, it, it's, it's, um, they're, they're still growing, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I think, you know, the power, the power, you know, definitely the, the, the size is one thing, but it's a power that goes deeper. And I think like you were, you're tapping into that when you were connecting to that great love, you know, this, this big, big, big love, you know, in the Lakota spirituality, the bison are considered a force of creation, you know, and, and I can speak about that a little bit more, but the idea is that, um, that the bison hold an energy that expresses an aspect of the creation, the creator, that is, like you said, love, you know, it's a certain aspect of love, but it's a very powerful aspect of love that's in abundance. So there, that's one, um, another aspect of their power. And, you know, in, in the, the, the male buffalo, the bulls are called in Lakota, Tatanka. Right? Tatanka means the greatest. You know, mm. so it, it, in all these different ways, it's acknowledged as like being this really kind of massive, powerful force, um, both very, very, you know, physically and then also very um, spiritually and universally. So what being involved with the buffalo and that being such a, an important part of reconnecting with this tradition and, and deepening, you know, with with where the a lot of the teachings that you've worked with come from um it feels it feels like um yeah it feels like this is something that um you know it's a really healing piece of work to be doing but it's also something about bringing the past into the now or bringing the you know creating the future which mm -hmm. is a lot more in connection and a lot more um I guess in relationship to these great um, animals and and uh, all beings, you know, and I think that's what drew me to doing this work with you and 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 uh, similar work is is that understanding, growing understanding of what it means to be in relationship to the other than human world, and um, I've been thinking a lot recently about how, you know, how how would people have done that in times gone by in more connected cultures what would have that what would that have looked like and um, having a little bit of an understanding of rites of passage and life stage honoring I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about that and how that fits in with uh, the work that you do and 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 what relationship life stage honoring and, and rites of passage have to the way we live today and the work that you yeah. do this is something to understand about, you know, indigenous spirituality, you know, because spirituality in, in when it's put into the modern context, it kind of becomes divorced from, you know, practicality, I would say, you know, it becomes it becomes like a religious practice or a re, an idea of, of a connectedness. Right. And you'll feel that connectedness. So, you know, there's a validity in, in the sensations, the feelings and these the things. But all of these teachings um, that are currently considered spiritual are also highly highly practical like they're addressing human issues you know real world on the ground human issues so you know the 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 knowledge of the bison um isn't a, just a spiritual thing it's a really practical thing about how do we work with this animal that actually can create abundance in the ecology so that everything thrives so that we have food to eat you know like really the real world practical we need to eat right mm -hmm. we need shelter 
we need warmth. We need these things. And by by working with this animal in this understanding, the uh, the outcome will be that we are healthier, happier individuals and collectively as a community, as a as a species, even. So, rites of passage are are really you know like vision questing. That's probably the kind of the ultimate rite of passage when people think about you know um, ceremony that transitions one from you know, a, a certain state to another state or from a certain life stage to another life stage. Um, and it becomes, again, it becomes a bit more spiritual. It becomes more about, you know, like a, a visionary experience, you know, and in some ways I've even heard it talked almost, almost more like about uh, having a hallucination or having an out of body experience or something like that, which it, it's not, it, it makes it so that kind of, at least in my opinion, disassociate the experience from what is it actually providing? What is, what, what's the needs that it's addressing and how do we understand this in a really practical way? So to me, vision questing is, is not so much just about this pinnacle moment of, of insight or, or, you know, spiritual communication. It's really about what is that experience providing for that individual that makes that individual a healthier, happier person. And um, I'm actually going to speak about this here in a future uh, webinar. We do these webinars, you know, like these two-hour teaching webinars. But I'd like to talk about it here because, you know, this question is actually fairly easy to answer. All human beings have challenges. We all have certain consistent challenges, whether, you know, you're male-bodied, female-bodied, uh, what, whatever you identify as, and, and really whatever life stage you are, pretty much, um, we all have these challenges. And there's these things called the existential challenges, right? So the challenges of existence. And, and this is, you know, a well-documented thing in modern uh, uh, psychology and therapies. You know, we all have to deal with and face um, these aspects of life. And in the four aspects, in uh, the way that I, I'm going to present them, you know, this is kind of paraphrasing the original, but it's also based upon my understanding. We all have the challenges of responsibility. We all need to come to understand our own personal responsibility. We all have the challenge of um, being uh, both in aloneness, you know, being alone, but also being in connection. You know, those two things are very much tied together, obviously. But, you mm -hmm. know, what is it to truly be an individual identity, you know, in the uniqueness that we are? Um, we all have the challenge of creating and understanding meaning, you know, and having meaning, a meaningful life. Mm -hmm. And then we all have the, the final challenge, the inescapable one, which is we all are finite beings. We're all going to die at some point. So these are the four, the four challenges that every single human being has. And I think like the vision quest, they're questing in general, you know, for me, the vision quest is a very particular rite of passage. Uh, but let's just say questing, because there's all forms of questing. But all the forms of questing I'm familiar with that come from indigenous root traditions, you know, these wisdom traditions, they all in a way address those four challenges. They all make you face your, your truth and your responsibility. They all make you face what it means to be actually alone, you know, and what it also means to be in connection. They make you face what is meaningfulness, you know, and I think that gets a lot of emphasis with vision questing because what are you, what are you looking for? Well, I'm searching for vision. Well, what's vision, but, you know, kind of uh, the parameters of meaning, right? And then finally, death, 
and death is you know oftentimes tied to the quest because there is sacrifice of food of water you know of, of sustenance in such a way that you kind of have to come to terms with yeah this is like a little miniature death or this is even in some vision questing the real possibility of death you know if it's really extreme version so we look at we look at these challenges and, and we can go into this in deeper explanations but the rites of passage that I'm familiar with all help people to deal with those four challenges and some address all four challenges and some address uh, a combination of challenges, not maybe all four. But if, you know, for me, when I look at the world that we live in now in this modern, in this modern society, um, and I look at uh, many of the, you know, let's say mental, uh, emotional, behavioral, even um, problems people display, you can almost always trace that problem back to one of these challenges. You know, if we look at COVID, for example, right now, you know, obviously COVID, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of um, reactions and worry that go around this so much so that, you know, there's a censorship on even having certain discussions about this. And what is what is the challenge that COVID is associated with? And I would say for many, many people, it is death, which is a big one, right? You know, like the fear of death. I'm going to mm -hmm. die. You're going to die. My loved ones are going to die. And then we are reacting or people, some people that don't have a, a level of comfort, comfort with death can definitely react to this, this disease totally out of fear, fear of death. I'm afraid for you. I'm afraid for me. And then out of fear, that's going to create actions which have consequence and not all positive. Many actually, when you react out of fear, there's there's oftentimes a lot of negative consequences that go with that. And, and the other one I think that's really tied to the COVID experience is aloneness. You know, this isolation, the restriction, who am I? Like, what am I? This kind of this kind of opportunity. Um, that we could be taking this experience with, you know, when we're in isolation and restriction, most people don't know themselves. You know, mm -hmm. most people have never sat alone with themselves for days on end, making friends with themselves, you know, mm -hmm. and then, and then you're forced to, it's really, really uh, uncomfortable because mm -hmm. being forced to that, not choosing it is, <laughs> is, kinda, it's kind of like sets it up to be the wrong experience to begin with. So, so, yeah, that's a little bit about what I can share. You know, um, I don't I can go into depth on this, but I don't want to take it off on a tangent any further than I already have. Well, yeah, what you're saying about COVID, I just I, I still find it really fascinating what's happened in terms of people's fear of death and the fear that's predominant. And and that has somewhat been led by the media, um, who is led by who knows who, <laughs> you know, it. it the, the world that we're in is is um yeah it's really interesting and to see people's responses to it and awarenesses of it you know people who aren't political at all who aren't activists who aren't you know necessarily um wanting to be uh, challenging or anything are, are are turning off the media you know they're turning off the news they're turning off from that sort of constant feed of fear in order to uh, be able to live in a more present and um, connected way and I that's one thing that I've noticed you know uh, speaking to different types of people from different 
backgrounds uh, a lot of people doing which I'm really glad to hear obviously not enough people do that but <laughs> but yeah. it it's it's a big it's a big one and and having all of those challenges you know of aloneness and connection or understanding the the need for connection and understanding how how we how we need that you know I'm thinking of um, some of the events that I run which are often outdoors and in the woods and um, we stand in circle singing in nature and it's all about connection really and and being with fire and being with people and connecting with our own intentions and our own voices and using sound and song to do that and for for many people coming back to being with humans has been such a profound and beautiful experience whenever they've spent so much time alone and being away and and I love you know I love to see you know um, the emotional response that happens when people are in circle again for the first time you know they're actually with others others that they don't know as well mm. I think a lot of people may be connected with their own families and maybe we're in bubbles with you know people but but people you know going back out and actually connecting with people you don't necessarily know and and having that experience it's it's really it's really big so yeah we have all been through some sort of um challenge challenges that have faced had us face all of these um yeah, these four four main challenges: responsibility, aloneness, yeah, creating and understanding meaning. Yeah, you know what what is it we actually want? What is yeah. it we're trying to achieve? And yeah. and so yeah, going out on a rite of passage or some sort of quest in order to sit with that, I I find I find it really interesting because it's only as an adult that I actually realise that people do that intentionally, <laughs> you know, yeah. and. Uh, you know, and, and and even you know, just that idea of sitting alone, being in nature, and whether it's with a fire or without a fire, or in the darkness, or you know, for one day or four days, or um, you know, to actually intentionally do that and sit with mm -hmm. that and understand um, that this is something that people have done throughout history in many different cultures um in order to 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 you know to call for help or or to um to gain some answers i think is is really powerful yeah yeah i I, to I totally agree and and this is the thing like these wisdom traditions you know these these teachings the way i i understand it and the way i explain it to some people especially those that are are educators is that this isn't again a spirituality this is a pedagogy this is a way of education and this <laughs> this way of educating people into life not not just like you know how to read or how to write you know that's that's a very mechanical thing you know through practice repetition you can get to but where are we getting educated on how to live you know where are we getting educated on how life actually works and and you know like the lack of that has huge huge consequences you know huge so much so that under this this wisdom and, and our, our observation, really, like people who don't go through these kind of life uh, initiatory and life learning processes, you know, they end up they end up not elders, but they end up olders. You know, they end up not ancestors, but they end up you know kind of trapped spirits. You know, like the 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 evolution of becoming a human being in this world is something that's very very important. 
and if you look at meaningfulness um, in a bigger way, you know, not just as an individual, but the meaningfulness of, you know, human existence, the meaningfulness of this experience, you know, it, it really becomes quickly um, when you explore this, like this experience isn't just about a physical experience. This is this is something greater. You know, this is um, a, a progression of becoming. You know, so I like to talk about it from the point of view of human beings, like all people are born, you know, people are people, people have arms, legs, eyes, you know, we all kind of have this a similar wiring, you know, it's so close, it's so similar that, you know, unless you're a human being, you probably don't even notice all the nuances. It's kind of like when we look at another species, and we don't see all the nuances that they see within themselves. But human beings are, are not people, they're more than people, people are born, human beings to become human is something that happens through the process of life and this kind of ancient pedagogy of life of how to become is um is something that's held within these indigenous cultures it's it's something that's still held within these these wisdom traditions and these ceremonial practices and you know write a, a, a write of a, a passage is one of those ceremonies that help us to become human beings and so we can develop and we can, um, you know, I think of it like the womb of the earth, you know, like we're, we're actually, we're born out of our mother's womb. We've just stated for nine months in that, in that, you know, container, you know, and that's the, that's our reality. That's the universe that we live within is inside of our mothers. Right. And, and, you know, all the formation and the develop that happens within that is incredible. Nine months, you know, from two single cells, you know, combining together to then create trillions, trillions of cells. Okay, so that's huge, you know, and then we come out into the world. And now we're into a bigger womb, a bigger container where the gestation that happens here is the womb of the earth. We're being gestated by life itself. And the gestation process, maybe it goes on for, you know, I mean, hopefully for many years, you know, the average lifespan, 70, 80 years or longer, ideally, but whatever your duration is, is in this earth gestation is meant to create the opportunities for us to become human beings. And how that looks in the end is that we become elders if we live that duration. And at the end of that, when our last breath leaves our body, we become really helpful and powerful ancestors. You know, and perhaps even beyond that, you know, uh, we can speculate about that. But if the process of becoming does not happen, then we're born people and we die people, you know, and we can be born with a lot of fears and a lot of uh, struggles and, you know, a, a lot of un, um, insecurities and all these different things that, that, you know, we have to grow through and we have to learn from. And if we don't do that, then we exit this world with those as well. And when people exit like that with fears and insecurities and regrets and all those things, it's, it's not a beautiful thing. You know, it's not a beautiful death. And I think that shows where, you know, the society perhaps has failed. You know, the understanding has been lost or, you know, rejected somewhere somewhere in the past and isn't present here in the moment so you know when we do these ceremonies and we learn these things we're actually remembering how to become human beings again 
and you know it works that's that's the beauty of it because it, it is actually a nat a very natural thing you know it's a very you know it may not be understood in people's heads but it's definitely in their spirits when they come in contact with it they're like yes you know this is this is actually what i need mm-hmm. this is what i need i need to go through this i need to go through that rite of passage i need to go out into the wilderness i need to be alone you know and reflect in my life i need to know what my responsibilities are you know my commitment even to that like responsibility like i commit to sit in nature for two days straight without food without water without sleep right i'm going to commit i'm responsible for that nobody else is like nobody else can hold me there make that that choice to stay or not to stay i'm responsible like that how often do we really get to choose something like that and come to terms with that even if it's raining or if it's snowing or if it's hailing or you know if it's hot or dry or you know we're uncomfortable like we don't mm. often get to really look at ourselves in that way. So, so is, it, is it about commitment? Part of it, yeah. Part of it for sure is, you know, but that that commitment piece, I say, addresses one aspect, definitely, yeah. you know, with the challenges. So responsibility, commitment and responsibility go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. You know, choosing, choosing something, you know, making a choice and following through on that choice and living into that lesson that comes with that choice is, a huge part of saying we're responsible. I've been um, I've been sitting with the word responsible recently because I've been given the gift of of learning about sweat lodges and EPs and and feeling somewhat a weight of responsibility because there are so few people I know in the world who have have these teachings and whole have been given this package of. Uh, or life has brought them this way you know life has brought me this way and I've I've come across and had such benefit and such growth from being part of and now I hold that um, Mm -hmm. also and responsibility can sometimes feel weighty you know it can feel can feel really um, hard it can feel hard but actually I've been thinking about it as the ability to respond and it feels so different, you know, responsibility, ability to respond when you're choosing that, when you're taking something and choosing to bring this into the world, because you have this ability to respond to the needs of today and the needs of life and the needs of yourself to actually do that. It's, it's a real gift. It's really powerful. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, sometimes I think we get put off by responsibility, don't we? Yep. Again, because we're not we're not trained what it means. You know, like like putting it into that framework of res- being able to respond, the ability to respond. You have the ability to respond, and if you look at the patterns of that, how did you get to that responsibility? Right. Well, you developed connectedness. You developed understanding. You developed yourself. You know, like, and there's those responsibilities that you know. Are almost like punitive right and that's more the modern the modern society's way of handling responsibility responsibility is oftentimes a punishment it's a lack of freedom it's a it's a um you know it's a burden that you have to carry right where this understanding of responsibility the the indigenous or the you know wisdom traditions of responsibility is exactly like what you're saying you've developed yourself to the degree where you can hold more you know, you can you can actually carry more and you can provide more and you can be more responsive. And that's a huge and beautiful thing. Like 
like like going back to the teachings of the buffalo like the buffalo is a big powerful animal and that big power isn't because it you know it it said i don't want to deal with this or you know like oh this is too much and like somebody else can take care of it the buffalo is big and powerful because it says i love i love and i love this big i love creation this much and it kept going into that like how can we make this better you know kind of framework how can we love bet, bet, better and bigger and bigger and bigger and and with that you know it has a huge impact so it holds the greatness of that and that's how we can be you know that's that's what we can learn from the buffalo like how can we be in that greater res responsiveness and as we go you know we're going to become able to hold more and understand more and do more and support more and and you know i i, I speak to that because my sons you know my sons and, and my daughters are kind of the millennial into gen z right so they're the the younger generations and they span across both both generations now and you know there's a real struggle that some of those um young adults are having with responsibility you know with taking responsibility for themselves with taking responsibility for others and, and, you know, I tell them like the first responsibility is for yourself, like that you are not being a burden on other people. Like that's like, that's, that's like base, you know, that's, mm. that's, the, that's just the, the, the ground level, you know, like it's one thing, it's one thing to be a child and, and to, you know, not be able to care for yourself, you know, that's understood. But there, it's another thing to be in your 20s and then not be able to care for yourself without the input of energy from all these other people and sources, you know, that are making it possible for you to live. I said, you know, taking responsibility really means taking responsibility for yourself in this bigger way. And that's that's ground zero. Then you build from there. The goal isn't to stay just responsible for yourself. The goal historically is that you're responsible for more and more so now i'm not only capable for myself but i can provide for the people around me you know i can feed the elders you know i can i can take care of the orphans i can hunt the buffalo you know and 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 make sure that there's food in abundance for everybody that's that's like the responsibility where we could go to you know and so oh, that's a burden. That's not a burden. That's that's the way I can express my love. You know, that's the way I can express my connectedness. And and yes, yeah, sometimes it's it's challenging for sure. Sometimes it's weighted. You know, sometimes it's like it's like I'd rather sleep, you know, or whatever it is. Right. So <laughs> I go on vacation, something, you know, but but, you know, when the the kind of like memory or the 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 acknowledgement of why that responsibility is there to begin with in this healthier way it's because you love and it's mm. because you care and and that's actually why you have the ability to respond mm. is that a human thing well the animals they love yeah oh yeah they love they definitely love you know like it, it, both in kind of very practical observation of their emotions but also you know in ceremonies and and actually a i had a vision quest um one year i mean this has been a while but they basically came in and, and told me you know in this very clear fashion like we love our children just as much as you love yours like like love is i think love is a really universal force and 
the way they express love, you know, as many animals, maybe not all of them, but many animals really express love very similar to the way we do. I don't think we're that dissimilar as like, like mammals or like as animals. I think when you get into like maybe insects and trees and plants, you know, they, they probably also have love in a certain way, but not so, so close to ours. Mm. And so talking, thinking about young people today and, and that relationship that, that there is to, um, responsibility and uh expectation i mean is that does that come from because i see a lot of sense feeling of powerlessness Mm. you know it's almost as though well our society breeds that we we are i mean particularly now again in these times in covid you know we've all had we've all been told what we need to do we've all respond people have responded I guess differently some people have responded differently to others but essentially the whole world changed and did what it was supposed to do at that time locked in stayed in and and followed those instructions and and it was more like rather than connecting in and I don't know I feel maybe I'm going slightly off tangent off off target here but there's some sort of sense of powerlessness that I think um, has led us to be so disconnected or Mm -hmm. there is something around the disconnection that creates the powerlessness. Maybe is it around our ability to understand the, the messages of, of life or our inner wisdom or the, um, the wisdom that comes from being in connection with um, life with other beings with spirit whatever that means to people and mm-hmm. because we don't have that we look elsewhere to mm-hmm. be to be looked after and so now we've got generations of young people who are maybe not looking after themselves not able to look after themselves they don't even know what it means to be able to trust themselves and make yeah. good decisions well there's a way to understand this in in you know, human beings, we're not singular consciousnesses. We're in, in the kind of indigenous wisdoms I come from, we're multiple consciousnesses that have combined together to, to, you know, create the identity of self. So we have a mind, you know, we have our thinking and our intellect. Um, and I always like to think of the mind, uh, I think easiest to understand it as the map maker, you know, the, the, the part of us that figures out reality, models it, and then creates a form, a structure that we can work with. Um, really powerful, very necessary, uh, but also limited. You know, there's limitations to that. Um, well, we all have blind spots because the map is incomplete, right? So that's that's a really important part of us, but it's not the only part. And it's unfortunately maybe the part that gets the most emphasis in this day and age and kind of gets reinforced as the sole uh, uh, consciousness of the human being that should be empowered. Mm. Um, then we also have our heart, our emotional consciousness, um, you know, this heart centered understanding, which could best uh, explore the world and, and describe itself through feelings, you know, through these these um, these emotional states that we have um, very powerful as well, of course. And then we also have our body, you know, and the sensations that we we have. And this isn't just our five senses, you know, literally like the movement of of feeling on a sense level that happens you know we don't really give a lot of attention to that anymore like like um 
we describe it like the hair standing up on the back of your neck, you know, like you're in fear or spookiness or something, but, but that's happening on different subtle levels all the time, right? Little tingles in your arm or little twinges in, in, there's an ancient wisdom that says that's really powerful in direct communications that are moving through your body, but we kind of ignore most of that. Um, so there's that consciousness of the body. And then the final consciousness is the one of the spirit. So this is that eternal kind of deeper knowing part of yourself that's often uh, recognized through intuition or dreams. Um, and, and there's other forms too, but those four parts are the, the consciousnesses of the human being. And then there's many other divisions, but those are the easy ones we can talk about. So as it comes back to your question, right? One of the jobs of rites of passage and one of the jobs of these indigenous, you know, educational models is to connect the human being to all four parts and to activate all four parts in consciousness and awareness of the other parts. So it's not just that, you're thinking, but also that you can feel simultaneously, that you can think, feel, and uh, process sensations in your body simultaneously, that you think, feel, process sensations in your body, and have powerful spiritual communication simultaneously. So it's all working together. You know, sometimes there's experiences or situations where one's more needed than the other. You know, sometimes there's dialogue that happens between the two. Like we all I think recognize that emotionally and mentally, we might be on kind of different patterns. You know, our heart wants to do one thing, our mind wants to do another. Um, and there's dialogue between that. But what you're taught is how to work with all four parts and mm. how to work with all four parts effectively. So with, with young people nowadays, you know, like, are they taught that, right? Because if, it, you know, what you could see looking at the patterns of education, your mind gets highly empowered as the kind of the soul, uh, the soul uh, reference point for reality and the framing of that, the framing, the map that you're provided through the experiences of education are incredibly limited. You know, it's not developing you as a person. It's developing your ability to um, take in information and repeat it, you know, regurgitate it, you know, process it in some ways when you get into kind of higher sciences and stuff like that. But it is all very um, reductive. And uh, it uses finer and finer distinctions. So you could say like separations, cutting away. And that is um, important and helpful in certain ways, but it's also got to be balanced with the connective side of things, the universal inter intertwining of it all. And, and so we have this big imbalance that takes place within people. And we could really just simply say, uh, you know, if I'm going to tell this to a 10-year-old, 8-year-old, 9-year-old, I'm going to say, People have a mind, heart, mind, body, mind, spirit disconnect, right? So we have these disconnects. And, yeah. you know, the spirit, our spirit knows certain things. It has, we'll call it intuitive knowledge and intuitive wisdom. And that connection between the mind and the spirit is really, really an important aspect of having uh wisdom having deep inner knowledge and when that connection between the two think of it like a like a strand or a thread and really it should be like a full-on cable or rope when that connection though is only a thread or worse it's down to being just this frayed barely holding together like 
like hair hair that could snap at any moment there is in, like a, a person's not sure you know like what do you rely on what deeper truth or deeper knowing is available to you will that could that break i don't think so actually i don't think the spirit mind connection can break as long as you have a spirit um i think it's always there but the communication between the deeper knowledge of spirit and the mind itself is not active and that creates a lot of uh well un just being unsure mm. you know and then and then the default is to well look around you know who or what's the authority if your spirit isn't the authority then mm -hmm. who or what should be listened to who who or what knows what's going on and and then you default to that thing the problem of course with that is that your spirit still knows and the spirit is going to start screaming at you at some point mm -hmm. you're going to become really really unhappy you know like your spirit is going to be really unhappy and you, you know in in kind of a way i won't say this like it's not fully but in a way your spirit can kind of like just leave like you know like i'm not involved in this process anymore like this experience isn't really feeding and, and, and meeting the needs that i have and even being here so why should i be here kind of thing mm. and then you get really um yeah i would say spiritually mentally oftentimes physically and emotionally sick people they're unwell mm -hmm. so so yeah, I'd say really at the essence of this problem is this mind spirit disconnection. Mm. And people are taught, listen to the authority. The authority does not necessarily have your best interest at heart. You know, <laughs> like that's the thing. What's the agenda here? What what is the agenda and what is what is being, you know, told to me? And ideally what you do is you check it out with your your spirit right and your spirit says oh yeah that's right you know you know you get the sensations that go yes or mm -hmm. you get the relaxation in your your gut level or you get some idea of like i feel energized i feel charged you know i feel inspired this is right mm -hmm. and that's the communication that validates you know the spirit input on saying yes mm -hmm. um and if the spirit says no then it's really smart to listen to that you know like that's that i would say is um something that the mind should probably pay attention to you know and say okay yeah i probably shouldn't do this mm -hmm. or listen to that or whatever mm -hmm. or i should investigate it more but again if you don't have that or it's really really weak then you don't necessarily have that inner strength you don't have mm -hmm. that that inner determination to say no hey this is wrong or i you know i'm not sure about what's going on here but something in me says yeah, I need to consider another pathway here. Mm. So this is something that has really, you know, has really changed for me in the last sort of decade is that an understanding of the four parts of self and just having having that awareness has really changed my life. You know, I've, I've been looking, learning more about trauma and how much we store trauma, um, historical trauma from our own lives but also past trauma from past lives and ancestral trauma and and the trauma you know and and how much our bodies communicate to us that in the past I think I just completely ignored I had no no perception of and and then the the 
the idea of spiritual communication, you know, that we have, we have that, we all have them. We all have these moments of like, yes, I really need to do that. But then quite often we'll let our heads take over and rationalize or reason ourselves out of doing something rather than allowing that moment of like, yes, to really, to really take over. And and that's something again, that I, well, I think I'm really grateful actually that I don't think my spirit ever gave up on me, (laughs) you know, it's kept leading me places and I've been able to listen, but I can see how, how it can happen and how, you know, how, how are the life that we, we live often really minimizes, if not ridicules that uh, connection to spiritual communication, you know, and that inner, inner voice and in inner inner outer voice you know that that voice that comes through um some sense of something other than the mind and uh yeah heart wow you know it it's it's a whole mind in itself isn't it how we get led by our hearts and and how we yeah it's it's just been amazing recently um going through a lot of life changes myself at the moment and understanding that um i have processed my my mind has processed certain things my heart has processed certain things but my body hasn't processed certain things you know and and it really i really feel it i really feel um that i need to do something in order to actually help my body my body mind catch up and, and understand what's going on and, and process that and whatever that means and listen listening is a big thing isn't it yeah. understanding and I think that's you know I did a lot of ceremony um without necessarily having that wisdom I remember when I started working with you and and, and a bit before I was doing ceremony and I really had no idea what ceremony even was you know coming from a non-religious family in this western culture I had the word and that was about it I didn't really understand that it was about connection you know and about creation and then I did the helper's journey which is one of the courses that you do and I think it was the first year that you did it and it was the first course that I'd done that was um predominantly online and I didn't think I was going to like it (laughs) because I don't I really love the immersive experiences of being together with people when you're you know when you're doing this kind of work but there was something amazing about the helper's journey that enabled me to bring the practices really simple practices into my life and um at home you know yeah yeah. and that that really accessible yeah totally really and then it helped me understand things historically as well you know what I'd what I'd understood and what possibly I've missed whenever I've Mm -hmm. done quests and rites of passage before just thought I would share that because it feels sort of crucial really that we all understand this yep oh totally I mean this is why obviously I do the work and so many people are so invested in it in different ways you know because when you understand this, you know, and as you as you go through it more and more, you're going to understand so many different more layers, you know, that are maybe right now on the edge of awareness or even just so far out there, you don't even realize it. Right. But as you develop this understanding, you you essentially become a more functional individual. But that leads to all sorts of really amazing things, you know, in in 
one of the one of the models that we work with um, is um, Maslow's hierarchy of need, right? And, and Maslow's hierarchy of need is is really a, a well known model, you know, and it, it kind of lists all the different needs human beings ha have, all the way up to this thing called self actualization, you know. And you you self actualize, you know, you become aware, you have vision, you have purpose, right? So that's part of you know the identity of self becoming of service you know being responsible or being responsible able to be responsive mm. so self-actualization well that model um was actually uh kind of adopted and and maybe even a little bit co-opted from uh an indigenous model uh native american a tribe called the blackfeet which were also within this region within the plains you know they were buffalo people and horse you know when they got the horse and all that and in their model self-actualization is the bottom of the rung right that's mm. just the beginning, you know, and really the next thing is that the whole community is actualized. All the individuals, everybody knows who they are. Everybody, everybody has a good self-awareness. Everyone has responsibility and, and uh, connectedness and, uh, and the ability to navigate aloneness. They have meaningfulness and they understand the relationship to life and death. How are those things working and tied together in this bigger context of, you know, spirit and spiritual development? And when you have a group of people like that, then they say it leads to this thing called cultural perpetuity. So the ways of connection that endure forever, right? And, and we're working with this, um, teaching these courses like the helper's journey. Like how do we get somebody to really know themselves in a bigger way? What are the models? What are the, what are the indigenous pedagogy models that we can say this actually helps us to become healthier, happier human beings and actualize and actualize and help others to actualize. Right. So the helper's journey was created um, on, you know, all of these different forms of information and teachings and experiences that I've had, you know, like some of it, like um, the North star teaching, right. So that's a teaching that is, is really helping people to understand this alignment to kind of like their, um, how could we put it? You know, I, I, I sometimes call it the prime distinction, but kind of like your motivation in life. Like, what is the thing that you really understand to be your, uh, your life is about, you dedicate yourself to. And, and, you know, it's, it's hard to formulate that into a simple thing, like, oh, that's the one thing. But it's a good exercise to really look at, like, we live in, in, in our lives are uh, movements of energy. So we move energy through us by our our existence and that energy creates you know we're a creative force not massive you know like not creating the whole world or something but creating all sorts of experiences within ourselves and around us and when we understand what we're aligned to and we operate in a healthy way with that then we can actually create some very wonderful things you know and we can create a healthy world we can create a healthy reality we can create a healthy environment you know like like th this understanding for me anyways, you know, I've, I talked um, about the bison and all that, like my alignment is what has guided me to work with the bison in this way, because my, you know, my understanding is like, this is uh, a really big way to help the environment in a very effective way. So the helper's journey are based on these kind of wisdoms of like, alignment and, and connectedness to life and, and commitment to life, commitment to understanding the parts of self and 
working with that and developing that and going through that. And, and it's really an essential, absolutely critical step um, for those who are called to become, you know, facilitators of connection ceremonies, you know, connection events, um, you know, because a person could do it without it, but it is so uh, clunky mm-hmm. and it is sometimes not nearly as effective. I know I should say that it's always not nearly as effective, but you get mixed results in unless you're living that connection. So, so yeah, the, the, um, you know, yeah, totally online now, almost exclusively there's opportunities for different like local events in, when you're in the network, but um, you know, the course itself is online, but we've had some absolutely great results, amazing, amazing results. And funny enough, not just in that course, but later on, because you go through that course, you get to go into the, the teachings of the elemental altars, you know, and, and this, this is where you start getting into initiation, right? Lineage initiation, like really, really specific information, really, really powerful in, information. And that's why you have to be initiated into it. Mm. Um, but we've done these courses, which would have, let's say, historically been taught exclusively in person online. And, you know, people are really getting some great results. You know, people, if you listen and you do the practices and you do the work, Mm -hmm. it it actually really, it really works well. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've so far, I'm very happy about it. Let's put it like that. And Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not happy just because, you know, oh, people are liking it. I'm happy because the end result is people are connecting in such a way that they're able to help more people. They're becoming Mm -hmm. healthier, happier. They're becoming more connected more energy can move through them. And I can see that, you know, like, I mean, I, we've known each other for quite a few years now, I'd say, you know, mm-hmm. um, I actually don't know the exact amount, five, five years, six years, maybe longer. Maybe seven now. Yeah. Seven year, Yeah. And, and, you know, like, not just what you tell me, but I can see like your whole patterning, you know, it's kind of like the patterning of your, like, there's wisdom in your eyes, you know, there's a, there's a knowledge in your being that just kind of like, flows through you in a different mm-hmm. way than you know when we first met years and years ago i think the potential was already there for sure and there was bits of it that were already there but you know mm-hmm. you know and i don't take credit for that that's you that's you doing the work so i'm happy if i've helped with that which mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really hopeful that i have but um you know mm-hmm. i recognize that within you too so mm-hmm. it's working it is working and it it is one of those things that i think it once you once you have that understanding of those different parts of self and once you have the understanding of what spiritual communication is that it's not this this sort of woo woo crazy thing it's a it's a real practical way of listening and being in the world everything changes it's mm-hmm. it's like a completely different understanding you go from allowing life to happen to you to being someone who who's in reciprocity with the, mm. with life you know you have yeah. agency you have power you have and power you know in a good way and you, you have choice and i think when we when we know that we have choice and we're able to listen to what life wants of, of us and then able to align ourselves to our um our north star or prime distinction then then we we have all of these resources that are always there for everyone to actually move forward um and absolutely, you know, having worked doing this work for with with helpers mentoring society for for the last sort of seven years around that I don't know quite. Um, uh, 
it's definitely changed things for me not just not just that I've got a better life but like as you say like I have an ability to respond now that is so fundamentally different to where I was before and mm, I had another thing that I was going to say then I was thinking but it's gone but um yeah it, it's just that feeling I, I think of being able to um just with the very small things understand what connection and the depth of that and the, and and how how if we all have that how people would make choices differently you oh know? totally yeah yeah i mean that's for sure you know the 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 map the map the model of reality the model of self it expands it changes you know it grows and you know even that like little lesson that that's possible right so many people hold on to their map like it is their identity you know holding on to the well, this is what I think the world is. And if, if that goes away, I die, mm. you know, that that's, that's like not true at all for one, but it's also like such an ingrained belief that when people come into situations where that gets challenged or that uh, model gets like the opportunity to really transform, there's such a fight on that, you know, mm. like, and, and, you know, the wisdom, the wisdom of it is like, you know, I can let my, my map grow change it's actually not a static thing it's a it's a it's a like a clay model that i can shape new things with and new information comes in and you know old stuff has to go away and new stuff and it's like so freeing mm -hmm. you know so i don't have to worry about death in that way you know mm -hmm. i i don't think of death like that i don't think of my mind is the end all be all of my existence i know it's not actually and mm -hmm. and that that you know when things change whether it's like external situations and, and, you know, COVID happens or, or, you know, something happens in my family or whatever it is and life conditions change, my map and my model can actually flex and move with that because I put connection, connection, you know, connecting as a priority. And then my map actually flexes with that. Mm. And, and when it really needs to go to through a big transformation, which it has multiple times, through ceremonies, through vision questing and through life, then I know at the other end, you know, coming through that reshaping, I'll be good. You know, I'll still be ex in existence and, and, you know, life ex existence in whatever way will continue. Now that's, that's really, really helpful. Just living, you know, it's a really helpful thing. And most people unfortunately don't have that anymore. Unless they've gone through some really heavy things in life and, figured it out somehow they listened to their spirit they figured it out so they kind of like initiated through life mm -hmm. um otherwise you find it with initiated people um so mm. if you're if you have that though when it comes to actual death it actually applies to there you know there i have a i have a peace with facing death you know and as you know like i've done that a few times now mm -hmm. including having a heart attack like i've like okay you know, this could be the end. This could be my last day. This could be la my last moment here. And um, I'm not worried about it. You know, like people could say, oh, I'm not worried about it until they face it. And then they're like, no. I'm like, no, it's it's totally cool. Like, <laughs> you know, like when that time comes, I'm I'm at peace with it. You know, and for my family, my children, you know, my loved ones, them as well. Not to say like I wouldn't mourn and grieve and, and be in pain. I fully know that I would as a living person to lose someone go have to go through that um but i also know that there's more than than 
this physical body to their existence and mm -hmm. how to be in contact with that other aspect, that spiritual aspect of themselves, how to be in, in, in communication with that, how to relate to that, then there's a piece that exists because of this really practical life training, you know, like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it goes far beyond just, you know, this kind of like, oh, this helps me to live a little bit better in the moment. It actually helps me to navigate all of the challenges that come along with life. Mm. And, and I can, I can testify, you know, for myself, you know, I face these things and, and, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm at peace. Mm. Yeah. And I'd like other people to have that. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. And I, I guess, uh, yeah, I, I'm sitting in a position at the moment where, as, as I said before, going through some life transitions, like potentially um, new ending a relationship and have recently experienced, um, death in the families and and supported other people through that process and every single thing that you said is true it's actually um being able to be with it to be able to have the tools to actually sit with death and sit with grief and be in that and know that that that's part of being alive that helps us feel you know we only feel so much uh fear when we can't actually be in true grief, when we when we actually can't actually be in full connection with ourselves, because the thing that makes us human is feeling it is 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 having that consciousness to be able to work with these mm -hmm. uh, these different states of being and and understanding the cycles of life and and really not just understanding it in your head, but actually really embodying it through through the the relationships that we have with you know with the elements for example fire and um and all it teaches you you know i think yep. uh, yeah yeah well like having so we say okay ceremony right ceremony um all these different kinds of ceremonies that we teach that we learn and you know ceremony like you said you know and this was true for me early on in my life when i first came into contact with the idea or the concept of ceremony I'm like I, I had my thoughts about it or i thought i knew what it was but i had you know, learned over time, like you said, well, this is really actually really practical things. It's really about navigating life, you know, take mourning, take grieving, you know, like what is the modern, modern experience of grieving and grief and, and uh, the allowance of being able, able to grieve, even something like so profound, like the loss of a parent, the loss of a child, something like that. And, you know, you're given a certain amount of time, perhaps away from your work or you know, and, 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 you know, people try to console you with certain words, you know, like time heals all wounds, just, just these different things, you know, kind of like, you know, I guess, uh, thought canceling, uh, little memes and ideas, you know, it doesn't allow for the thinking. It doesn't allow for the expression. It just kind of like cancels it out. And then also you, you, you end up with this big static ball of grief stuck and it's never been moved. And, then it affects the way you think it affects the way you feel it affects even the way your body moves you know like it affects your spirit mind heart body connection um and and there's nothing there's nothing you can do about it kind of like well you know take it to church you know pray about it this you know do do these things and it's like well it doesn't really help very well because i'm all by myself you know maybe sitting in in the church pew you know crying you know you know praying and not hearing or re getting any response you know 
maybe maybe the priest or somebody will have a kind word for me or something like that. But then you look at the indigenous practices around this. You look at what ceremony provides. So, you, you know, you know, this, the, the, the tradition that's often called the sacred fire. So that that you've got to be careful with those words because it can mean a lot of different things. But this particular ceremonial format that's designed to help people grieve during times of loss, you know, it, it like you said, uses the elements and then it creates a container that is really a communal container where people can go and connect to their grief and move that grief, you know, and that sometimes looks like wailing and crying and singing. Sometimes it looks like, you know, rock is laughter. You know, sometimes it's, it's, it's almost comedic, you know, not that the grief is comedic, but the expressions of the movement, sometimes it's just dancing. Sometimes it's just standing there. Sometimes it's just watching the fire, whatever it is, it provides that container so that it honors the movement of grief and mm. ultimately provides the opportunity to transform that grief into a new expression of love, a new mm. expression of connectedness, a greater version of it. You know, even if that person's no longer in, in their bodies, it's not like I'll never talk to them again. I'll never be, you know, I'll never hold her. It's like, wow, I can just kind of call their name and they're here. I feel them with me. And, you know, we have conversations all the time, you know, and, you know, I even make them a plate of food and we sit there and we talk like these kinds of things. And you'll be like, wow, that sounds crazy. It's not crazy at all. It's actually how it works. It's like mm-hmm. you're in this greater sense of connect connection because you're not you know, holding the ball of grief that is blocking up your whole system. You're mm. now in this, this big love, mm. you know, and, and that's, that's the practicality of it. And it's so, it's so important, you know, like recently um, when I was actually in England, I was talking to how important is that, you know, like in indigenous in communities all over the world, they treat grief the way we treat like a broken leg like a heart attack, like they, this is an emergency, emergency situation. This needs to be responded to today, right now, this second, it can't wait. Right. And the reason being is because when people operate without having um, grief transform, when they, when they operate from a place of grief, they really make difficult decisions that have lasting consequence. They say hard words, you know, and take uh, actions, which cause more grief. Mm-hmm. And it spreads and it multiplies and it leads to disconnection. And when that really takes place, people, families break up, communities break up, you know, the, the, the separation from the land happens, you know, violence happens, all sorts of really gnarly things take place mm-hmm. because grief hasn't been transformed mm-hmm. into love. So it's a really important aspect of why we do the work and why we need, you know, essentially people to go through the helper's journey mm-hmm. and then people to go to, through the, the lineage initiation, like elemental altars into, you know, heart and song and life within and healing for life. These, mm-hmm. This pathway that we've, we've, you know, created online, which is kind of crazy in a way because um, it hasn't historically been done like that, but we're dealing with the circumstances and the conditions of life that we're in. Mm-hmm. So we, 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 you know, work with that. And that's been true for every generation before right now that have continually passed this wisdom through the ages, you know, dealing with what's happening. All right, mm-hmm. How do we apply it? How do we teach it? How do we get it out there? Mm-hmm. So, so that's why we do it. <laughs> so, and, and so, so on that note, how do people find out about the, the different offerings that you do? Yeah. So, 
uh, what I'll say with that is we have the public facing offerings, which are on the website. So it's helpersmentoringsociety.net. And um, if you go to the homepage, you can read a little bit about, you know, the, the different pathways. Um, you know, we call it personal spiritual development, which is really like around the webinars and the, um, the helper's journey kind of is really where that drops in deeply. You know, and then um, and then we get into like lineage initiation. You know, and when you get into that, then you have to be initiated and there's you have to go through a process of commitment, you know, and becoming more responsible or more responsive and able to be responsive by, you know, going through the process that that leads to. And it's not it's actually online. It's not very heavy at all. You know, historically, mm -hmm. it would be like questing and doing all this really mm -hmm. intense physical stuff, too. But, you know, now it's it's really these deep inner commitments that take place. So. Those those courses after the helper's journey, they're not actually public courses. So that's not the public facing side because you have to go through the helper's journey to get into it. Mm -hmm. um, so if you want to look at the courses that are available, the different webinars that are out there right now, um, you can go to helpersmentoringsociety.net forward slash store. And then you mm -hmm. can see what what's out there. And there's some there's some pretty cool stuff. We have um webinars we have two webinars a month they're two hours long people usually find they can sit for two hours mm -hmm. and we talk about all sorts of different subjects you know oftentimes what's kind of up for the moment but um you know things that are moving in the ether so to speak sometimes you know we we, we get insight and like oh this is coming we better address this now and we start we start teaching on it pretty quickly um so the the next webinar is kind of navigating um um, you know, difficult, challenging experiences. You know, a lot of people are having these uh, these reactions to the lockdown. You know, and the lockdowns may be coming back. You know, new variants are popping up, and and um, we got to find resiliency within ourselves. So mm -hmm. that's the next one here in a couple of weeks. And a couple of weeks after that, we're going to do one on the four challenges of existence as navigated by the four winds, the teaching of the four winds. So something mm -hmm. about what we just talked about really briefly here. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, you know, just helpersmentoringsociety.net is where to go. Great. I'll put that in the show notes. And yeah, to all the listeners, um, you know, as, as I said before, I totally recommend these courses and webinars. And, um, you know, if you're looking for something that's going to change your life, <laughs> then this is it this is it really and I I I know that we sometimes don't know don't always think we need to change our life and and maybe that's true for some people but I think in these times it's quite clear that we need to learn to live differently so um yeah this is this is one way of, of creating that and bringing that about for ourselves and our loved ones and our communities and and, and all beings so Thank you, Sal. Thanks for this uh, amazing conversation. I think I've drawn out loads of different strands, <laughs> as I often do, and, uh, a, a windy, a windy river of meandering thoughts and uh, interests. But it's been brilliant. It's lovely to speak to you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. You too, as always, and again, and definitely, you know, my gratitude to the listeners as well. You know. Anyone, especially who's listened to the whole thing, <laughs> you, know, you know, like gone on that wandering path with us. And, um, and I really hope that it has, you know, touched your spirit in such a way that there's a knowing and, and maybe your mind in such a way that you're like, oh, these are new or great ideas. And, 
new ways to be and think in the, of the world and ourselves. So, yeah, thanks for the opportunity again, Leona. Mm, pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I hope it inspires you to follow your path of deep connection. I love sharing this information so much, and I'll always share any relevant links in my show notes. If you like the show, please consider supporting it at patreon.com forward slash connection letters podcast. This is where you'll find bonus episodes, giveaways and behind the scenes content from me, as well as having my huge heartfelt thanks for any support that you can give me. It really helps with the viability of the show. You can get most of what will be on offer for as little as £3 per month. Please also subscribe on whatever app you use by clicking that little subscribe button below. That way you'll get all of the upcoming episodes straight into your device. And please leave a review on iTunes. It's so helpful to our ratings. The music that opens and closes the show is actually by my very own dad, Ray Johnson. Thanks, Dad. And you can hear more of his music at soundcloud.com forward slash visionray.